What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe, and I'm afraid to tell you that Mr. Stay, my podcasting partner in crime, could not be with us today. This is the first time he's let me down. I've showed up here. He's not here. So what I had to do is I had to pull in someone at the last minute to see, to see if they might be able to fill in so I didn't have to ramble on for the next hour by myself. And would you believe it? I looked at my email the other day and we had this amazing, amazing pitch of just the most brilliant idea of a, of a, of a book. And it was none other by Mark Stay, the author. And uh, <laughs> we decided to get him in. He's been, he's been trying to get on the show apparently for over four years. And um, so we're just going to go straight into it. And uh, Mr. Mark Stay, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I- I'm very good. I thought this was the Honest Authors podcast. Sorry, I've uh, <laughs> clearly clearly double books. Um. Oh, fantastic! Well, it's it's so great to have you on the show, Mark. And um, my, my pleasure. Just- just for everyone who's joining us for the first time uh, this week, Mr. Stay, as if you've been following the podcast for the last probably year or so, Mr. Stay is releasing a new book. This is number four, Mr. Stay, isn't it, of the books that you've you've written so far in your lifetime? It's my fourth difficult book, yes. Uh, but the first in a brand new series, uh, it's called The Crow Folk, and, and, and here it is. Uh, it's the first in the Witches of Woodville series and um, says on the cover here, June 1940, rationing blackouts, witchcraft. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's set in a small village at the beginning of the, the Second World War. A young girl called Faye discovers uh, a book left by her late mother. And she never really knew her late mother. And she opens this book and it's full of rituals and sketches and runes and magic and all sorts of strange stuff. Uh, and as she starts to piece together the fact that her mother might have been a witch, um, the the village is besieged by the crow folk, strange scarecrows led by the charismatic pumpkin head. And that's as much as I'm going to say without spoiling it, other than to say that I've got some lovely quotes, not least from Rowan Coleman on the cover, uh, author of The Girl at the Window. She says, full of magic and delight. So thank you for that, Rowan. See you there. That's that's what I'm plugging today. <laughs> well, it's always good to get the plug in at the very beginning of the interview. Bloody <laughs> right. Yeah. But I I got to say I'm absolutely delighted to be doing this today. This is this is so much fun because you know we look back over the last four years, we started out life like as, as lowly authors. Like you were starting your your second book, I was trying to work out how to even write 
the first. And here we are, four years on. Actually, weirdly enough, four years, four books seems to be a bit of a trend. So you could be well into the like 20s or 30s, you know, by the time you hit your retirement. Um, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. And, and, and one of the things, so we're going we're gonna to kick off today. I've got a few things I want to first do. Firstly, we always talk about on the podcast how it's so important to celebrate Right, we've got we've, and this is what this podcast is about. It's about a celebration of number one, you finishing your book, massive achievement. Number two, you getting a publisher, massive achievement. Number three, getting a three publishing deal with a traditional publisher, absolutely amazing. All the things we've been talking about for years on the show, you've actually achieved, Mister Stay. So I decided, as it's nine fifteen in the morning in Canada, that I'd like crack open the bubbly. Aww, so I, I went, I went, I went to, I went to the off license uh, the other day, and I thought I'll go and get myself the finest bottle of champagne that I could find. And I got. So if anyone's in Canada, you'll know this stuff. It's really good. Um, baby Canadian sparkling, six dollars <laughs> a bottle. Absolutely fantastic. Class. Um, but as 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 it's. As it's actually only six uh, nine a.m. in the morning here in Canada, I, I'm actually uh, I'm actually going to have a, a little samosa bucks fizz just just to start <laughs> start the day easy. I don't want to go too hard, um, but I'm probably going to blow up some electrical equipment in my studio. If you're watching this on YouTube, I don't know where this is going to go, mistake. But let's see if I can get <laughs> the best sound effect ever. I'm going to try not to get the tin pot lights at the top. Here we go. Ready. Oh, that really went, didn't it? I've officially got a dent in my roof. So here's you, Mr. Stay. Oh, I've got water. I'm, All I'm I've got on, is water. I'm on the juice already. I think it's the earliest I've ever had a drink, apart from when it rolled over from the night before. So congratulations, Mr. Stay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank mm. you. Thank you. Ah, that's absolutely lovely. So this this interview will slowly degenerate. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. I sip on this bottle. Um, the other thing... Um, that I wanted to mention is I know that you're having a book launch coming up on day of release. Um, and I want to ask you a bit about that, but I know that there's a bit of a theme to the book launch, isn't there? Um, this is a quite an interesting, you've got a lot of surprises planned, but it's fancy dress. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Launch night is uh, Thursday, 4th of February, 7 to 8. Uh, that's GMT. Uh, Queen McDonald is going to be MC of the evening and uh, dress code is 1940s home front. Um, 1940s. Uh, I didn't read the invite. I'm a. I'm a sorry about that, Mark. I do have a prop. I don't know if you can see it. It was. It used, it used to be a, a guitar, and it's been replaced now. I thought I'd come. I, I, I was thinking like long and hard about what I should come as today. I thought maybe, um, maybe a country, a country yokel. So I got a bit of a straw <laughs> with my pitchfork <laughs> at the back. But then I decided. I know that there's something else in the story. There's something else in the story. So I, I had a rummage. I had a rummage um, in my daughter's, my 11-year-old daughter's uh, dressing up box. And this is what I found. I'm just going to uh, stop my video for a second and I'm going to be back in a second. Oh, my um, God. I just want to oh, warn any people watching, it, watching this, this is, on YouTube. He hasn't that, told me any of this, listeners. He hasn't told me any of this. <laughs> I dread to think. So I'm just going to come back on now and uh, see, see if I've hit the zeitgeist for you. Hang on a sec. Let me just see if I can turn my video back on. All right. It's Noddy Holder. <laughs> it's Noddy Holder. <laughs> officially, officially no. gone bad. 
I can't decide. I can't decide if you look more like a witch or a scarecrow. I'm assuming <laughs> with the green hair, you're going for a witch vibe. That's very. Good. I like the pointy hat. It's excellent. Do, do you it's like it? Good. I'm quite it's impressed excellent. actually. It's, it's a very <laughs> floppy hat. So yeah, we'll um, we'll put a photo of that later, and people can wonder what on earth's going. There we go. You can <laughs> see my face now. Um, so I'm going to attempt to do the entire interview with this hat on until <laughs> until I can no longer I see like nothing them. less. <laughs> absolutely brilliant okay well i'm gonna i'm actually gonna take that off because you know we are actually professionals oh. mark aren't we I'm, i'll put it on a bit <laughs> later on um there's something else i wanted to mention mark is that and again i haven't mentioned this to you but um do you know i tried to i tried to post some chocolates to my parents back at the beginning of december they did not arrive until mid-january that's how bad the postal system has been but but two days ago I went to my post box just down the road, and this was in there. Now I haven't Mate. opened it yet. I'm going to I'm going to do a grand, a grand. Um, now I don't know what it is. It looks like it could be a book. It's definitely from Mister Stay, covering your address there. Um, definitely from Mister Stay. Um, and every now and again, I get these little gifts in the post from Mister Stay, and I thought, I wonder what this might be. And I'm hoping that it's not a joke pair of undies, as we're doing this, you know, on YouTube. But I am going to open this because I, I'm hoping. I think I might know what it is. But this is Christmas has come early. <gasps> oh, hang on a minute. Not just a book. Oh, yeah. I don't know which one I'm more excited about. Look at this. I have got, from Mr. State, a bar of the Crow Folk chocolate. Yep. Absolutely yep, brilliant. Yep, yep. There it is. There it is. There's the book. Sniff I, it. I, well, I was going to ask, do I have permission to sniff it? Because I don't know if that's something only an sniff author. Away. Okay, okay. I think you get Ooh, honorary that is sn sniffer status. That's really nice. That's got a really nice smell to it. Oh, I was you know wondering what? if it had got to you. Actually, I was you, wondering because I've sent I sent a couple overseas and a couple are still yet to arrive with people. So um, yeah, I love yeah. it. No, it arrived about two days ago, which is amazing because where we are on Phew. the island, it can some you know they have to row it over, so it can take a while. Usually, <laughs> that is stunning. Look at that book one, the Witches of Woodville. I think for this uh, for for this interview, I'm actually gonna. This is this is a big deal, Mark. Uh, for anyone on YouTube watching this, they'll see that we always, I always have back to reality uh, product placement just just mm. right on my windowsill, you know, because I've learned a few things from the podcast. But today, <laughs> Mark, today, oh, back to reality honor. is actually going off camera, off camera. Look at that. The crow oh, folk. Bless you, sir. It's That's lovely. Absolutely I'm honoured. I've got to say, though, Mark, we talked about this before, but it is a beautiful cover. Um, it is. And really artwork is, yeah. makes all the difference. But what? Yeah. This bar of chocolate. Like, what am I meant to do? I love chocolate, but I can't eat it. Yes, you can. It's I lovely. can't. You can't. <laughs> the, you said that there's only there's only a, a small number of these. This could be worth millions on YouTube. Uh, YouTube, I, eBay. YouTube, in about, eBay. In about, yeah. Millions in, in, on eBay in about five years when the book becomes a, a global sensation. Well, we've got we've got a question about the chocolate later on, but if anyone wants a bar, I will be doing a giveaway in the run up to the launch evening. So uh, do check out my social media to see how you could be in with a chance to get uh, some chocolate and a signed book in the giveaway. So check that Excellent. out, and that's at Mark Stay at Mark writes, Stay, yes, at Mark Stay at Mark Stay at Mark Stay on Facebook and Twitter and yeah. MarkStayWrites.com. There'll be links to that as well, I guess, on the website. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. I honestly, I honestly don't think I can eat this because, and that says a lot for me. I am actually a chocoholic. I am. I, mm. I admit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name yeah. is Mark, and I'm a chocoholic. Um, me too. Yeah. But I just think it's too beautiful to, to break. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to put it on the windowsill because come summer, 
exactly. it would just melt. <laughs> but thank you well, so much for that. I, I no, really appreciate pleasure. that. I'm absolutely delighted to, and I can't <laughs> wait to read it. Um, coming up later in the show, we have got a excerpt, and this is a, I think this might be an exclusive. We have an excerpt from the audio of Mark's yeah. book, which is absolutely brilliant. So stay tuned for that and have a have a little taster of what, what the, what's in store. But I cannot wait to, to read to read and dive back in. But we this is an interview, and we, we've had, and I've got to say, Mark, you put out um, we put out a, a request for questions uh, as we always do for authors. Like if you're part of our academy, uh, if you're part of the BXP team, one of the great things you get to do is you get to actually ask the questions for our interviewers. One because you guys come up with way better questions than we ever could. And two, it means we've got a lot less work to do. So what we did is we asked... <laughs> we asked we, no, no, because because they come up with much better questions, really, genuinely. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. We put out a request for questions. I think we've had the most number of questions that we've ever yeah. had for any author on the show. So kudos to everyone for sending your questions. We're going to try and whip through them. Um and have a bit of fun with the leftover ones at the very end, Mark, just to warn you. Um, but um, <laughs> let's let, let's dive in because there's there's a lot there's a lot of things people want to know about this book. Um, the first thing, the first question is from Jan Carr, and Jan asks, "Where did you get your idea from?" Classic, classic. And just to reassure listeners to this, I'm going to try and make the answers as helpful for writers as possible. It's not just going to be me uh, blowing smoke up my own bum for an hour. <laughs> I mean, maybe for just 45 minutes. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll get some insight into working with agents, editors, development ideas, writing for series, historical fiction, stuff like that. Um, so uh, Chris asked the same question, Chris Lowenstein, where'd you get the idea? Uh, Matt says, uh, of all the story ideas you likely had before you started this book, what made you choose this one? Uh Tanya says, you know, uh, how do you decide if it's a book or a TV thing? What made you not be a great idea for a novel? So a lot of a lot of variations on on that. Now, here's the thing. I've got files going back on this idea, going all the way back to 2008. So it's uh, and it probably dates before that. I mean, this has been mulling around for a long, long time. And it did. Weirdly, it started out as a TV idea. But uh, it was very different. First of all, I think I, the big problem with it was I had the point of view completely wrong. And it only took me about 10 years to figure that out. And uh, the, the period was wrong, too, because it was, it was contemporary. It was set in the here and now. So uh, a few things had to change to sort of make the idea fall into place. And for me, it really started gaining momentum in its current form. Uh, when uh, we were vi we were visiting friends in Chiddingston in Sussex. I don't know if you've ever been to Chiddingston. It's on the border of Sussex and, and Kent. And it is your archetypal English village. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, weirdly, I work with the, the chap uh, who lives there called Mark Stretfield, who is kind of Lord of the Mariner Chiddingston Castle. You know, he's 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 related to Noel Stretfield, who wrote Ballet Shoes, and he they have the the family have their own coat of arms and everything. And and Claire was down there bell ringing, and while she was off ringing, me and the kids sat outside uh, a pub, and the kids challenged me to come up with an idea for Doctor Who. And um, <laughs> brilliant. And and I, I I don't know if you've ever heard a whole session of bell ringing but they do something at the end they ring down the bells because the bells have to be put in a position where they're they're kind of they're, they're put up and then they're rung down and something happens to the bells the bells instead of going ding dong ding dong ding dong they start ringing very very closely together really mm. really closely together and it creates this incredible sound 
an absolutely incredible sound. It's like the lost chord from the beginning of the universe, you know? It just creates this incredible magical hum. And uh, I got something from that. I thought, actually, you know, that that could be that could be something magical. That that's a good MacGuffin. I could use that. And uh, I, of course, you know, we've been using bells to fight off evil since time began. So bells, I knew bells were suddenly going to be very important. And also, uh, Claire hosts like the bell ringers will go on journeys. They'll go from Surrey to Kent for the day and back or whatever. And they they use us as a base uh, for a couple of years on. So sort of twice a day they come back and I'd have to make forty cups of tea and then you know dole out forty lots of sandwiches or whatever. And I I joke to them. Oh, this was just after the magic came out. I joked I was going to make bell ringers the heroes in my next book. So <laughs> so the whole bell ringing MacGuffin was was coming together and it does play a really important part in in uh, the crow folk and then the time period thing clicked into place because it was still a tv idea my my tv agent my script agent said why don't you set it instead of making it contemporary why don't you set it in the second world war because that period england so you know downtown abbey is an easier sell to americans and, and overseas people than uh contemporary england mm. um and that that just another sort of thing slotted into place i thought okay great World War Two, and I've you know I've moved to Kent. Moving here made a big, big difference because uh, moving to the country made a big difference. And World War Two, you know, I mean, it happened here with the Battle of Britain right above our heads. So it moving here made all the difference. So everything kind of slotted into place. And then I was going to say it's it's kind of well, like and, an and extreme. That- it's an extreme case, isn't it, of uh, of book research is to actually like leave. Leave the Lived suburbs yeah, of London yeah. and buy a house and live there. But you immersed yourself in – it must well, have changed a lot because immersing yourself in kind of that village kind of environment must have given you an amazing kind of sense of backdrop for the book, right? Completely, completely. And Wayne, one of the nice notes I've got from someone who read the book said that they said you write nature really well. And it's just being here, you become a lot more aware of the nature and, and the surroundings. And and then the big thing that clicked into place is I got the POV right. In in the original version, it had been the monster's POV. With this, I created a character called Faye Bright. She's this young girl. She's your classic, you know, hero, uh, ingenue kind of uh, you know, um character. And it it all kind of started clicking into place, and and going back to um, uh, I think it was Matt who said, "What? Why choose this one?" It was just the idea that just would not go away, and I, I couldn't figure out why. You know, I'd write other things, and whenever I finished those things, I came back, and this idea just kept coming back. You know, a magical wood, a village, and you know, I, the other thing is, I I knew this had serious potential. You know, that endless well of story. And for years, I've been trying to think of a serious idea, something I could come back to. Well, could it be a science fiction idea, a fantasy idea, what have you? And this, it all clicked into place. And I had a character that that was able to grow with the series. You know, she's seventeen in this book, but she'll grow as it goes on. And it just took a really, really long time to see what was right in front of me. But yeah, that's a that's a very very long answer. But it it had a very very long gestation. It's been around for thirteen years, and ten of those it was kind of swimming about, and it was completely wrong. So if anyone out there is thinking, you know, I've got this idea and it just won't gel, just be patient. <laughs> you know, just yeah. just if it keeps coming back, if it keeps nagging you, there's something in there. There's there's gold in them thar hills, and you just have to 
have the tenacity to hang in there because eventually it will reveal itself. I think that's it's a it's a brilliant a brilliant um, you know testament really to to that idea and, and we often call it signposting where you get to a you know you get to an opportunity in life where you can start something new or you can try something and you look at the signposts and the different things that you could do at that point in your life and if there's a signpost that's always there it's always like this is this I'm not going away I'm not leaving you if you see that enough times you you really have to follow up and it sounds like you, intuitively you went right now but but it's also about timing as well yes. i mean you couldn't have written this book 5 10 years ago right well i did i did write the book i mean that's the thing huh. i mean we got questions about development later on i finished many many drafts of the wrong book you know that eventually hmm. kind of got, and scripts you know uh tv pilot scripts feature length scripts that i got to the end of and they still didn't work so you know it's um i did write it but it was it was just wrong it was it was wrong 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 era um, and not the wrong right character. time for you to write the right <laughs> book as well. Yeah. So Tanya yeah. asks, she said, what, "How do you decide if a project is a book or a TV thing? Um, what made you know it would be a great idea for a novel?" That's, that's a very good question because it was um, it was very much a TV idea uh, to start with. This idea of a because the thing you're you're told to come up with for a TV series is you know come up with a precinct, one place where it's set. Because for you know, in terms of budget, that's a good idea. If you can set it in one place, then you just have to build one load of sets, one locate, go to one location or whatever, um, and then have that endless well, you know, of uh, of stories. So, the idea of a village next to a magical wood, where magical things will come through every week. Okay, that's great. I can work with that, uh, and. I, I I put it together as a TV idea, but it just didn't click. I think the POV thing just just wasn't wasn't quite right. And it was when my agent said, "Oh, we'll set it in the Second World War." Um, that ironically, that kind of killed it as a TV series, at least and, until you know the book is a smash hit. <laughs> um, because <laughs> because then then that suddenly becomes more expensive as a TV show, you know. So um, I, I said to Matt, my, my script agent, I said, I'm going to do it as a book first because I think if I can get this series off the ground, then it has – I know from experience of pitching original ideas that it's really hard work. Uh, but if you've got an IP, if you've got a successful book behind it, then suddenly people are biting your hand off. So I'm playing a very long game with this one. This is this will come up later as well when I'm talking about book two and stuff like that. Um, you know, this there is a very, very long game with this. So, you know, TV eventually maybe, but it just seemed to me that and also I could write without budget constraints because when you're writing for TV, you are kind of second guessing yourself. You know, you're thinking, okay, we want one location, we want fewer characters, we can maybe only have one supernatural element blood. So you do start second guessing that kind of thing whereas this i could write without constraints and just have great fun with it and it just mm. i was enjoying it more when i was writing it as a novel as well you know i could write this as a tv pilot but i just had a lot more fun writing it as a novel where there are things that i write as a script that i think i'd struggle with as a novel um Whereas I have great fun writing it as a script because it's more kinetic. There's, you know, there's the way the story is told. Whereas this, I get to get inside characters' heads and get to describe magic in that sort of pratchety way. Uh, whereas mm. through the prose, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the interesting things is that, you know, if you're writing the book, you're really going deep <clears throat> into the characters, which is something you, you aren't afforded yeah. when you're writing a screenplay. But one of the beauties of that is if you, 
get to the point of writing the screenplay from you know book to screenplay then cutting away is always a much much easier thing to do than having to try and you know add in terms of actually making it really succinct but you'll know the character so well by the time you get to writing a screenplay that in theory you'll probably have a much stronger screenplay as a result as well so that's that's really Mm. interesting so thank you for that thank you for that question uh tanya that's a brilliant one um i wanted to ask as well mark a bit about this it's come up a lot actually and people are very curious about how the book was developed and and mike revel thanks for your question mike he said i'd love to know more about your writing process for the book now if i'm if I'm not mistaken, this book was written with the 200 word ch- a day challenge, wasn't it? No, that's book two. That's book two. Oh yes, gosh, yes. Way, book two way was, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this this was uh, well. The thing is, it, it I, I had, as I said, I had entire drafts of scripts and novels dating back over ten years, and I was I just got sick of rewriting the same thing over and over again. So I got rid of it all. You just um, well, you just chucked it all away. You just said, "Well, it's not filed away, safely, filed away." But okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, very very little of um, those. Uh, the village is the same. The name of the village, uh, some of the sort of magical background, but essentially most of it is gone. Almost. Did you actually go through a process as you as you were archiving those notes of saying, "What am I going to keep from this?" Or was it just yes, a bit, yeah, but you you kind of think, okay, what's evergreen? What's what's gonna you know? What's the good stuff? Uh, and there wasn't a lot of it. <laughs> um, although one of what the the story might come back for book four or five if I get there, you know, because there, there there's something about that story that I do want to come back to. But it it will be told from Faye's point of view, not the creature's point of view. So, because I was going for a kind of a swamp thing vibe with with the original, and it just didn't work and mm. yeah anyway so so i and i you know i had i had all these old drafts and, and pretty much all of it was jettisoned so interesting and so now how did you how did you um kind of go through the process from initial notes to outline and draft my casks well it was because uh, it's the first in a series i i kind of saw it as a bit of a superhero origin story you know Faye finds magic learns how to use it against a terrible foe it's her first real test as a character and I spent a little time making sure I had the main characters right. I kind of discovered where I wanted her to be by the end of the book, and I did pretty much jump into it. So it wasn't uh, – I, I didn't outline very much. You know, I'd outlined End of Magic heavily, as you know, Back to Reality. We, we outlined heavily because we were working together. This was This was much lighter. Now, I was – I've been prepping this all afternoon. So I, I did try and find notes and it's been quite hard to find where I made the switch. I, I basically started this in December, 2018. Uh, and that was the point where I think I jettisoned all the other stuff, looking at the different old Scrivener files, you know? Um, so, and that draft, that that first draft I found is pretty similar to what's been published. And also, the other thing is, I, I had planned to self-publish, uh, inspired by our own uh, Ian W. Sainsbury, friend of the podcast, award-winning author. Uh, I was going to do a quick release, three novellas, boom, boom, boom. Because, uh, And I think what helped was mentally, I was thinking, okay, these are going to be short, about 45,000, 50,000 words. So just jump in and have fun. And I did. I had loads of fun. So, uh, so yeah, that was, um, that was the thinking behind that one. It was just, yeah, go for it. Excellent. And how, how many words in the, in book one, do you remember how many it turned out at? 
Uh, there's a little story behind that, and uh, Rhoda asked a question later on about how because I, I got to about 45. In the end, it ended up at about 65, so still quite short. Um, but yeah, actually, Rhoda, Rhoda asks. She says, um, "Did I heard the book started out as a novella and ended up being a full book? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So how did um, you go about extending it? Good question. And I, I did dig out my notes. I've got my email from Ed. So let me uh, let me read you Ed's email. Ed being your agent, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Ed Wilson, uh, the lovely Ed Wilson. And this is great. Um, so I, I and I, I said to him up front, I want to self-publish this, but have a look at it and see what you think. Um, uh, and anyway, I got I got his email. Uh, he said, anyway, nothing too major, but all ties into my big point. Why is this book only 45,000 words? Woodfield is completely effing brilliant. And he did, he has, bless him, <laughs> starred out the UCK there in, in the world. Um, <laughs> he says, tonally, tonally well, spot case, on. Just in case it ever got read out on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's always thinking ahead. He oh, is. Ed. He's a smart he's, man, is Ed? He's, yeah. <laughs> He says, uh, totally spot on, perfectly realized, structured and paced, deliciously readable. This is cozy fantasy, the genre mashup we didn't know we needed. The characters zing off the page. You develop a real emotional connection in such a short space of time. I was in pieces at the end, you bastard. Which is great. Now <laughs> he's, we've, just, we've, he's, just read, he's just written the blurb right there, isn't he? <laughs> now, we've talked about the praise sandwich on here before. You know, how you give criticism. You start with, this is good. Yeah. Now, you know there's a butt coming, don't yeah. you? Thundering <laughs> over the horizon. Okay. So he says, but there is so, I think there's seven O's in that so, and it's all in caps, so much more you can do. Because you've limited the word count, you don't have time to properly establish the setting before you get stuck into the plot. We need to see more normal village life, more dad's army war preparations, more vicars and oversized veg and tongue-in-cheek archer-style village politics before the talking pumpkins appear, or rather before the villagers see the talking pumpkins. The way you've written it, we have the big reveal and the fantastical events go above within the first third of the book. And in a book this length, that's too soon. You're giving up too easy and losing the fundamental tension of what is and isn't real. Who is and isn't Barmy? We need more twists and turns, more tension around who and what Faye, Charlotte and Mrs. Teach, those are the witches, are. You can keep structure and tone the same. Fundamentally, that doesn't have to change. Just add more. Tension, intrigue, spooky goings on, so seeds for future books. And then once you've established the series, you can do pretty much what you want. Uh, this first book is vital to establish the series. You've got to properly establish it. Book one is too important to have it dismissed as just a novella. So this was great. And he sent, you know, he had a, I had a manuscript from him marked up all the way through with notes all the way through. So that was my jumping off point to answer Rhoda's question. It was, you know, the the tension, the questions. I was just kind of giving it all away too quickly and I just dug a little deeper as a result. It's so I've helpful. Got to, I've got to say, you know, that, folks, is the reason why you try and get an agent. Because yeah. so many people think <laughs> so many people think agents are just, you know, you give them the book and then they go and flog it. You know, and they go off and they have have a have a beer or a glass of wine with their with their connections, and then they try and sell the book over lunch. But people don't realise that good agents are are your best friends and your your best you know um, constructive critics as well. And it sounds like Ed at that point in the journey really gave you the crossroads to say that these are all the things you can do. And without, I mean, if somebody's self publishing without an agent, for example they wouldn't have known where to go gone at that point. They may have just put it out as a 45,000 word self-published and 
you know, missed out on what potentially could have been the most incredible ride of their life. So mm. that's absolutely fantastic. And what a great insight as well to hear that stage of the journey at that point. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, Jackie's asked a really interesting question. This is one we always like to joke about, but she said, did you find writing a non-sweary book got you thinking more or differently creatively about word choice, e.g. insults? <laughs> it's, it, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, World War II, I'm a connoisseur of swearing, as you know. Um, World War II <laughs> is a bit of a turning point for swearing, actually. People swore a lot at least in England, up to the 1890s. Then Victorian society got all coy. Um, but it made a big comeback during World War II. I think it had something to do with officers mingling with the working class. And as I understand it, it was the working class seeing officers swearing, thinking, well, if they're doing it, we're doing it. Mm. So, But a small rural village in Kent wouldn't be very sweary, to be honest. And so it's, it's uh, and you know, if you've read The End of Magic, there's Effort and Jeff and all the way through. Um, but that's just because how the characters are. So, uh, yeah, I did have to adapt and it was, it was fun. Um, you know, favorite phrases came from things like, uh, Viz comic, which again, very sweary comic, but there's a character in there. He uses the phrase blinking flip, which I've been using since I was 17, you know, oh, blinking flip. Uh, I got one from my mother-in-law, buggeration, you know, so you, <laughs> you have these inventive phrases in lieu of, of normal kind of swearing. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, and it is cozy fantasy, you know, it is, um, this is, uh, this book is, it wasn't written during lockdown, but it was edited during lockdown. Mm. And, uh, that, that kind of feeling of wanting a comfort read, I got a review from SFX the other, uh, other day who said it was a second world war comfort read. And I thought that's exactly it. You know, you want to escape to a different time period of a little bit of magic, and you, you know, you don't want anything too uh, visceral, you know. So there's magic in the dark things happen, and when we listen to the clip, you, you know, it is creepy. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to keep it fun. It's a little bit carry on as well. There's a bit of innuendo in there too, you know. Nothing too too fruity, but yeah. um, there are. It's the sort of thing. Because uh, our friend Jeremy, his daughter Grace is eleven, and uh, he said, "Is there anything in there that's?" I said, "No, no, it's fine." And she read it and immediately came out and said, "Buggeration." I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, but, <laughs> but it's the sort of thing that will go over kids' heads, but they can still enjoy, you know, the adventure. I think. But it is it's a book for all ages, really. You know, any uh, I think anyone of any age will read it. It's aimed at adults, but young kids could read it too. Well, on that note, I think it's a uh, it's a good point in the uh, in the show to. Um to bring in my special guest off camera, of course. Um, I thought it'd be nice to get uh, an old friend of ours, Matt. Mark, we haven't we haven't seen our old friend for, for I think well over a year. Um, but we're, we're going to actually play uh, a an exclusive clip from the freshly minted audio book mm. of the Crow Folk, which I believe is that coming out at the same time of the book's release, Mark? Yes, same time, same time. It's available on all the usual places you get audio books from. Uh, it's read by Candida Gubbins. What a name that is. That's fantastic. She, Candida could be a character in the book with that name. And she reads, I love the way she reads it. And uh, the, the clip uh, I'm giving today is uh, from chapter 19. So it's quite a way into the book. I was going to say it. I, yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it, I think it gives you a taste of, of, uh, of, the sort of the the scary bits and the comedy um and it's a chapter called the second death 
of Ernie Teach. Excellent. Well, I'm just going to ask our, our good friend uh, Ringo to, uh, <laughs> to to give us the drum roll before we go in. Um, he's he is here, folks. Honestly, let's have a listen. Here we go. Let's have a listen to an excerpt from Mark's amazing book, The Crow Folk. Chapter 19. The Second Death of Ernie Teach. When Ernie Teach was alive, he returned from the garage every day at six on the dot, and Mrs. Teach always had a hot tin bath ready for him to scrub himself clean. They had tea together, listened to the wireless. It's That Man Again was Ernie's favourite show and then he would see to his jigsaw and she to her cross-stitch. At ten o'clock they retired to bed and made love with such rampant enthusiasm that even Mrs Nesbitt next door complained about the noise and she was as deaf as a post. The next morning, Mrs Teach always had to explain to Mrs Nesbitt over the garden fence that the banging was caused by air trapped in the plumbing and Ernie would always get the giggles make his excuses and step inside. Mrs Teach's nightly routine had changed since her Ernie passed away. Now at six, she lit a candle for him. The radio remained silent and, instead of cross-stitch, she went to bed early, accompanied by a cup of tea laced with gin and read a good book. On this particular evening... Mrs. Teach was some way into a revised edition of the Sworn Book of Honorius, a medieval grimoire of some infamy, when she heard the latch on the back door slide open. Only her Ernie ever came through the back door, as only her Ernie knew how to jiggle the latch in such a way that the sticky door would budge. Mrs. Teach heard the familiar groan of the back door rubbing against the frame as it opened, followed by shuffling footsteps across the kitchen floorboards. Her heart began to race. She put her book down, wriggled into her dressing gown and slippers, and crept across the landing. She was about to reach for the light switch when she heard a voice from downstairs. After you, Claude. No, after you, Cecil. Mrs. Teach cursed herself for not having the foresight to keep something heavy like a frying pan next to the bed in case of unwanted visitors. She made a mental note to do so immediately after she saw off this intruder, then remembered she'd given her old spare skillet away as part of the saucepans for Spitfires collection. Don't forget the diver, sir. Whoever this intruder was, they were repeating catchphrases from It's That Man Again. I don't mind if I do. An intruder who was making noises like a radio tuning. This is Fump speaking. You are doomed. Mrs. Teach gripped the banister and trod carefully down the stairs. He was in the living room. Mrs. Teach thought about dashing to the front door and making a run for it. But the more she heard of this intruder the more she knew his voice. I go. I come back. It couldn't be him. It simply wasn't possible. Ladies and gentlemen, take your seats, please. She threw open the living room door. The thing she found was shrouded in shadow, hunched over by the wireless, its head 
jerking from side to side as it inspected the device from all angles, while muttering the same thing over and over. Itmar, itmar, ra ra ra. Itmar, itmar, ra ra ra. Mrs. Teacher's voice was tight as a drum. Ernie. The thing spun around. Its face revealed in a sliver of moonlight that cut through the curtains. A face of ragged sackcloth and pity, button eyes and wretched straw for hair. It reached out to her with creaking leather gloves and tufts of hay in its sleeves and said in a mournful voice, It's that man again. It took a lot to frighten Mrs. Teach, so the scream that came from her belly and woke half the village was not only unexpected, but so drenched in terror, it sent the scarecrow tumbling back into the fireplace, crashing into the poker stand and sending the drinks cabinet smashing to the carpet. The scarecrow wobbled to its feet, arms outstretched to her. It's that man again. It's that man again. Get out, she cried, grabbing a poker and bashing it across the back of the scarecrow's head. It howled and scurried from the room into the hallway and slammed into the door, falling back onto the stairs. Mrs. Teach darted around it, yanked the door open, grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and tossed it out into the street. The thing dashed along the pavement as lights began to flick on in neighbouring houses. The door to the green man swung open and young Faye was first out, followed by Terence. It's one of them! Mrs. Teach cried. One of them scarecrows was in my house. There began a shambling pursuit as a few of the local defence volunteers headed off after the fugitive scarecrow. The war had left the village short of athletic males and Faye held out little hope for the success of Terence Bertie and a handful of pensioners from the village bowls team who gave chase. In the meantime... Faye comforted Mrs. Teach and the green man with words of sympathy and a gin. Tinkety tonk old fruit and down with the Nazis, was Mrs. Teach's toast as she knocked it back in one. How did it get in? Faye asked. The back door was unlocked, Mrs. Teach replied. I'm such a fool. My Ernie used to check it every night and I still haven't got into the habit myself. But why you? Faye asked, squinting one eye and adjusting her spectacles. I'm a woman alone, Mrs. Teach said, fanning herself with a beer mat. Vulnerable and in mourning. More squinting from the girl. So's Mrs. Nesbitt and Mrs. Brew. And if you're a no-good scarecrow wanting to put the willies up vulnerable ladies, why not try Miss Moon and Miss Leach on the corner? They're easier targets, surely. The scarecrow would have passed all their houses before reaching yours, Faye said, sensing she was starting to get on Mrs. Teach's nerves. It's almost like the scarecrow knew who you were. All I know, Mrs. Teach said, her voice trembling, tears glistening, is that creature came to my home in the dead of night and tried to ravage me. Her body shuddered with melodramatic sobs, causing Faye to back off and stop asking annoying questions. They must be driven away, the lot of them, the widow blubbed. They're a danger to us all. Just last night, you was telling us all to let them be, 
Well, that was before I had one of them break into my house and try and get up me nighty. Faye had the decency to blush with shame and she shut up. That's when they both heard the cries from outside. We got it! Mr. Stay, I cannot wait to read this book after hearing that. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Um, I, something that really resonated with me, actually, was a cup of tea laced with gin, actually. <laughs> quite apt with me here, with my orange juice laced with champagne. Um, absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, it, it's interesting. When I heard that, I actually thought it was very early on in the book. So I'm curious now. Nine, chapter 19, that's quite a ways in. Um, I have quite short chapters. Quite yeah. short chapters, but it's it's about. I'm looking at the book now. It's about halfway. It's a big turning point. It is a big turning point because there is a one of the big themes in this is, um, do, you know, what do people believe? Do we listen? To, we need to listen to each other more. There is a big thing, and this probably came out of you know various political shenanigans going on in the world where we might ignore people. People that we might want to dismiss, we might not want, they might have unpopular opinions, but I think we need to listen to people. And once you start talking to each other and communicating with, with each other, you, you tend to have fewer problems. But, you know, but that said, it is a fun, scary book with talking scarecrows. So don't, yeah, it's not too high for you. <laughs> so here's the thing um, when, when, uh, when you, I think there was a photo actually of you on on Twitter or Instagram. Um, a big happy goon, I think, was the title, and it was your face <laughs> listening, listening to the audio book for the first time. Take me, take us through that, that kind of first listen. What did that, what did that feel like? And how it, how- it was probably magical because the the book starts with a little half page prologue that gives you some historical context. So it says June 1940, war rages in Europe, and it puts it in context. They've done it like an old newsreel. So it's like, war rages in Europe. The defeated British expeditionary forces and their allies have retreated from Dunkirk and France has fallen to Hitler's blitzkrieg. And I just went, ha ha, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's really, really good. And the first chapter uh, is in the first person. The whole novel is in third person, but the first, it was it was a one-page ch- uh, punch-up challenge. That I, you know, the first one we ever did, hmm. I submitted it anonymously. And oh, Emad, that's Emad, right. Yes, thankfully oh gave gosh. it quite a nice critique. <laughs> Although there's there's a, there's a should... couple of words he he said uh, he said I should take out that I've left in there. And what what they've done with Candida, they've added a little bit of reverb to it just to give it this otherworldly. And then from chapter one, it's Candida reading as normal. Yeah. I just thought this. Oh, they've had fun with this, and it. I was absolutely delighted. It's such a great listen. That's fantastic because you can't sniff an audiobook, right? What's the equivalent of, <laughs> of an audiobook? I guess it's like I think it's headphones. Um, even like I'd love to, I'd love to like listen to an audiobook for the first time. Lights off, like sensory shutdown, apart from just and just like, disappear into that into that world. So, so that's brilliant. So if you if you if you're more of an audio person than a a, a reading person, um, I guess you can get it on. Audible, can you? The book when Audible's there, it's available, and I think it's available internationally as well. I I think I think Sam Schuster got the world rights on the audio because I'm pretty sure it's available in the states and Canada and all over the world. And to be honest, you know the way Canada reads it, it was such a joy for me to listen. It might be the best way to experience the story. So um, yeah, check it out. Well, (laughs) try it both ways, I say. And and talking of innuendos, um, we. (laughs) I was going to say. I I was going to say it's a little bit carry on. 
done, Mark. I just we we listened to seven and a half minutes, and I now th- this might just be my mind, but I picked up two two <laughs> innuendos. Okay, for innuendo number one, and, and rewind the podcast, and I'm not making this up; it's actually in there. Um, it was when she hears the noise, uh, and then it says and something about um, only her Ernie had ever come through the back door. Thought, that's okay, your filthy it, mind. That well, is your I'm filthy so, mind. You, you said before. You said before about innuendos, and I was like, oh. and the second one is um, putting the willies up vulnerable ladies. <laughs> that's that's going back to Jackie's question about writing non-swearing books. Putting the willies up someone—it's a well-known phrase down our way. Of course it is. Of course it is. But following from following from Oni, her Ernie <laughs> would come through the back door. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Um, there's a, there's a, it's a the, sex it's shop. It's the Bucks like, Fizz. No, it is the Bucks Fizz, but lo- we've got a sex shop, um, uh, as every every good town does, actually, in, in, in these little Canadian towns. Um, and I, first of all, Long weird enough, it's, 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 ne- it's next to a chiropractitioner's, so I, I don't know if you can get a, a two-for-one deal there. <laughs> but the other thing is... The, the the brilliant thing is, is it's on a main road and it's very busy and literally it's like you drive past, it's opposite like the, ga- the, the, pe- the petrol station, the gas station. And there's a big kind of board sign outside the front of it says, we also have a back entrance. And I'm like, <laughs> genius, absolutely brilliant. So I'm always aware of these kind of innuendos. Maybe I do just have a filthy mind, I don't know. But um, <laughs> moving on, moving yes, on. Moving swiftly um, on. Absolutely. Moving very swiftly on. Um, I think one of the really interesting things about this book um, for me, Mark, is it you know, we have, you, you, you released Robot Overlords as your first book as a result of getting a movie deal. And it was the book came after the, or was written after you wrote the screenplay for the, for the film release. Very unusual situation. Number two, you, you co-authored a book with me, um, very completely different way of writing. Number three, you then, you then released End of Magic, um, to a crowdfunded campaign, which is again, and this time you, you've got a major traditional publisher that's taken up so you've you've got to try four different ways and actually i should say um you know uh, back to reality our book was was the, the first self-published completely self-published book um that you'd done as well so um angela asked the question angela nurse thank you for this question angela she says how does this publishing experience compare to your self-publishing and crowdfunding experiences mm. well I mean, as you say, I have been here before. Robots was traditionally published by Golantz, part of Orion. Uh, but the weird thing there, I was actually working for the publisher, which is a very unusual experience. Yeah, and it wasn't a know. three book deal at all. No, you know, it was, no. a, and it was, and it was because of the movie tie-in that it exactly. It right? was. This it wasn't was, like out the gate written book and then published. No. It was. It was an opportunity, and it, it, you know, uh, the producers were saying, "Oh, we could have a novel," and I said, "Well, look, I'd I'd love to write it." And I'll talk to Golantz. And Golantz said, you know, we don't normally publish employees or mates. Um, but I did a big pitch. I wrote 10,000 words uh, and they took a chance on me, uh, which for I've, I will forever be grateful because that that really did change my career. Um, Unbound, uh, well, self-publishing, I mean, obviously, best-seller experiment with Back to Reality. That was such a great experience. And we got all those, um, you know, top 10, uh, top, you know, number one chart positions, 10, 10 charts all over the world. Uh, I think the big thing we discovered from that was though, if you're self-publishing, you know, you you need to you need to write a series, you know, and 
and the biggest lesson there as well, don't be coy when it comes to self-promotion because it's you. You have to be persistent. Don't just get focused on the publication day. Still selling that book all these years later. People are still coming to it fresh. You know, uh, if we have time for social media at the end, there's we got a review for the book just a couple of weeks ago, which is just wonderful. Um, you know, so it's that that persistence, that uh, you know, self-promotion and writing a series. Unbound was great. That was, um, you know, I had a wonderful editor, Simon Spanton then. But after that, you're basically shoved out the door and left to get on with it, you know. And uh, I wasn't, you know, crowdfunding was fun once, but it's like I didn't want to be, you know, there's always, if you ever work in an office, there's always someone doing a fun run every bloody (laughs) month, you know. And I didn't want to be the person who goes around passing the hat around and get, oh, can you give me money? And I have noticed on Unbound, People who are writing trilogies, book one, great. Book two, it's much more difficult to get the money, much more difficult. And I, I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to write this as a standalone. Um, I should say, Mark, sorry to stunch up to you, but if you would like to support this podcast, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. you can do so by going to uh, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. I'll just put the hat away now. Thank you. So thank you. you carry thank on. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So this was um so yeah this was uh my my big you know um my my kind of big break eventually you know get, yeah. getting uh getting yeah. getting that getting that tell, deal Tell me about cuz I don't really know the full story behind this but obviously um your agent was pitching it to to traditional major publishers Um tell us the the moment that you first heard that Simon and Schuster were interested Well I told you I've been doing research. I dug out my diary. Okay. Um, This was, this was, um, you know, uh, we got the offer from Simon and Schuster in, well, I can tell you Thursday, 26th of March. So we were in lockdown. Lockdown just started. 2020, right. 2020, 2020. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's Thursday, 26th of March. Uh, guess who got a three book deal with Simon and Schuster today? Me, me, I did. That's what I've written. I'm pathetic, aren't I? Um, <laughs> Ed called after lunch. Ed called after lunch. He said, I bet you didn't expect this call in the middle of a coronavirus. And I certainly didn't. Um, Anne Perry, editorial director at Adult Fiction at Simon Schuster, loves it. I know because Ed sent me her very complimentary email. Uh, she init- initially offered <clears throat> for three books, uh, UK and Commonwealth rights, but Ed managed to knock her up to. <clears throat> Um, uh, uh, this is really exciting doubly so as I was on the verge of giving up hope and I didn't fancy self-publishing <laughs> for you what a relief so that's that's so relief relief as much as jubilation that's yeah, brilliant well, you know I, I was thinking of self-publishing but then Ed talked me into it he said I can sell it I can sell it and I'm thinking oh okay let's let's go let's 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 make the leap you know so I'd gone from one mindset to another mindset so it was uh, and we'd had you know we'd had a couple of rejections we had a couple who say like it not for us you know but um it was great and Anne was a fantastic editor, really, really good. She really, really got it, and she's well-respected in the industry. And then something uh, strange happened later in the year in that she got the opportunity to become an agent. So she left. The book was edited, uh, but uh, she left. And uh, I did have a bit of a worry because I thought, I really get on with Anne. Am I going to end up with someone, you know, that, uh, that isn't right for the book? Um, but then she passed me on to an editor called Beth and Jones, who I knew from Orion. 
and was oh, one of the most amazing authors at Orion. She, and she's so switched on. She's um, and so passionate for her author. So I thought, oh, thank God, I'm in really good hands. So I've had two amazing editors at Simon & Schuster with this. So uh, I've, I've really, really lucked out. That's interesting, actually, because it's something you never really think about of one of the potential downsides of being with a traditional publisher. I mean, I don't know how often it happens that an editor, you know, switches, but um, at least self-publishing when you take on an editor, in theory, <laughs> you know yeah. that you've got them for the whole journey, but that's great that it worked out, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and then, I mean, with a three-book deal, is it is it a bit like a film deal in that you get um the first book has to perform in order to, for them to take the second book or is it pretty much that they will guarantee to publish all three books oh no they there's a commitment to publish all three that's brilliant and uh that's a very good thing because you know we're publishing in the middle of a yet another lockdown you know the sequel yeah. no one asked for um so um well it's and- also it's also the thing that the artists in in the broader sense don't often get the chance to do these days you hear about like music artists who get dropped after their first release and they're not given time to, to kind of let things develop um and i think that's that's super important what well, how's how different is it for you obviously being with a traditional publisher for this book when it comes to promotion because i mean from what i've seen standing back you know You've you've done an incredible amount of direct promotion, including like the unboxing video that you said has gone kind of semi-viral online. What's that up to now in terms of views online? I don't know. It got ten thousand views in forty-eight hours, which is pretty which is cool. Incredible, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you but know, how's I, it? How different has it been? Do you, do you feel less pressure from the the marketing, or more pressure that you have to kind of add as much as you can into the pot? Because that's often expected now, isn't it, from the author's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I um. I got when I first signed up I, with Simon and Schuster. I sent them an email and said, "Look, here are my, here are the things I think I can do. I can do videos. I've got a podcast, you know, which is handy. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I know these authors. Can we approach these authors for quotes for the book?" Uh, so I had a, you know, a, a Google spreadsheet that I shared with them that people in the company could could tap into and look at at any time. Uh, so I. Having worked in publishing, I knew the things that would be helpful, and I knew when to shut up as well. I wasn't about mm. to tell them how to do their job. Oh, you should be doing this advertising. And the, no, they have their way of doing it. But I said, from my point of view as an author, I can do this. I can get in touch with these people. I know this person. I know this person on this radio station or whatever. These are the things I can do. And I, they wrote back and said, that's really helpful. Thank you, because that means we can now concentrate on this and worry less about that so um you know i i i sort of you know just out had a put together a publication plan as i might have done if i was self-publishing which is something you know we'd done with back to reality which is something i've done with the end of magic as well uh so that that was kind of helpful i think Mm, mm. and what so what else are you getting from simon and schuster that you that you know about or things that they're going to be doing which would be different from say the self-publishing route um, well, I, I mean, there will, uh, you know, there will be, it's, it's, it's the, it's the high street. The high street is the thing. And we talked about, um, routes to market. I mean, this is one of the conversations when, whenever a publisher acquires a book, one of the first conversations before they even buy the book is they say, what are the routes to market for this? Is this an online book? Is this, is a supermarket book or is it a high street book? Crowfolk is very much a high street book. You know, it's got, uh, it, 
it's one of these where you need word of mouth to sell it. It's not going to pre-order well because no one really knows me. Um, no one really knows what the book is about. People will have to pick it up, read it, and start reviewing and sharing it and telling each other about it. Uh, and, you know, it was Simon Schuster decided very on their strategy was we're going to target independent bookshops, Waterstones, the high street chains, that sort of thing. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly right. And, uh, uh, Waterstones doubled their order based solely on the cover art, which was fantastic. But now Waterstones are all shut until further yeah. notice. So funny enough, I, I had a conversation just before um, we started recording with uh, Bethan uh, talking about this. And, and I said, well, look, book two is coming in October of 2021. Um, you know, So two books in a year. We, we'll have one in October. That's in time for Halloween. Uh, there's lots of promotional opportunities. Hopefully, you know, by then, we'll have some momentum with book one. And she's totally on board with that. So are the sales team. We know that this, you know, it's going to be hard for this book at this time of year. But we have, you know, if we take the long term with this, come October, hopefully we can really rock and roll. Who would have ever thought that we would have to have planned a book release around oh, potential dips in Corona? Because, I mean, ironically, it's when you were saying October, I was thinking, oh, that's just before that's just before the winter kicks in, at least mm. on our side of the hemisphere. Um, chances are we'll be coming hopefully out of a really great summer where we'll be getting slightly back to normal and hopefully won't be moving back into another lockdown in November, December. But get the book out in October, you might get it in the stores and people can buy it. I mean, it, it's kind of insane to, I mean, it's insane in some ways, isn't it? But The hope is we'll all be vaccinated by then. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That, that's, that's the plan. I, I think the world will sort of get to normal September, October-ish. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, and so for this, the launch of this, we're just going to hang tight and I'm just not going to stop, stop. I mean, if you're on my social media and you're bored of me spaffing on about this book, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's funny. Now, Mr. Josh Atkinson sent us a question. Thank you, Josh. He said, um, it seems like you really turned up your word count in the last year. What changed? Well, I was made redundant and there was a pandemic. Um, uh, and by the way, get get well soon, Josh, because we know Josh got a positive COVID test, but he's he's asymptomatic. But I hope uh, it's all back to normal soon and your family is all well. Um, but yeah, and the big thing that changed, certainly in the last year, was the 200-word challenge because I had to write a sequel. First mm. sequel I've ever written, you know? So, um, and I, at the beginning of lockdown the first lockdown all the wind went out of my sails and I, I just didn't have you know the the energy to write so i started writing short stories and um which will be available to subscribers to my newsletter over the next few months just saying uh, so i started writing short stories that were spin-offs so in the in the woodville universe and that got my momentum going again and then i started writing babes in the wood which is the second book and uh, the 200 words a day was just fuel in the tank. Uh, so that's been the biggest, the biggest change. That's awesome. And if you want to do the 200 word a day challenge, yep. I mean, this is, this is testament, isn't it? I mean, ironically, they always say create the things you need most yourself, but um, we have a new URL. We have registered 200wordchallenge.com. So it's very simple. You just go to 200wordchallenge.com and sign up, try it for three days. And who knows, you might end up getting a book written in less than a year, like Mr. Stay did, and um, many, many of our other listeners and author friends as well. So get over and get started with that. It is, it is phenomenally simple to do, but incredibly 
incredibly powerful over time as well. Um, Mr. State, I think we're going to have a, a little bit of a, a little bit of fun here for a few a quick fire rounds. I, I decided in in the uh, oh in the spirit of Magnus Magnuson, um, oh <laughs> something called uh, Mark Stay Mind. Do you see what I did there? Very good. Very, Very good, good, right? Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm in a black chair as well. <laughs> right? So for all our, for all our friends, I don't know if we had, if they ever had this show, did they? I, I grew up with this show in, I don't know what happened to it, but... Um, there was the Mastermind board game, which had nothing to do with the TV show other than the That's right, name. with the weird with picture the beard, of the old, the the old bloke, bloke. And the young woman. And the yeah, young woman yeah, yeah. Very in, a, weird. in a kind of very, very kind of like mm. dressy dress. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I used to play that game. We actually have that game here. I played it with my kids recently, but I used to play that game with my, my dad. It was a lot of fun, but always got confused. So I thought, this is nothing like the TV yeah, show. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Mr. So, Mr. Stay, uh, thank you for coming on Mark's to Mind. Um, mm, you. Your chosen topic, I believe, is the crow folk. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Thank you. Okay, yes. so that's good. So um, we've got uh, approximately, uh, I'm just going to say, hey, Siri, start a countdown for two minutes. Let's see if this works on this fancy watch. No, it's not doing it. I'm always thinking about it. Okay, well, we're going to start a countdown for two minutes and uh, on your chosen subject. So um, let's see if I can get some kind of noise to start. (laughs) 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 Random. So, Mr. Stay, um, why are jam, what are jam roly polies and what have you got against spotted dicks? Right, okay, just to explain, a jam roly-poly is mentioned in the book because when Faye finds her mother's book, there's all kinds of magical stuff in there and, curiously, a recipe for jam roly-poly, which, if you come to my YouTube channel, my wife Claire has actually done like a 45-minute video on how to cook jam roly-poly. Spotted Dick, nothing against Spotted Dick. Uh, It's uh, it's in book two. Babes in the Wood will have Spotted Dick and there will be a recipe following in that as well. Okay, explain what a Spotted Dick is. Uh, for our non-UK dick. listeners. <laughs> spotted dick is a steamed sponge pudding with suet and black currants. The black currants are the spots of the aforementioned dick. And it's a, it's perfect with custard and it's a great British comfort food. Highly recommend Excellent. So I don't need to go see the doctor then? <laughs> well, <laughs> mileage, may, mileage may vary. <laughs> um, who would you pick as director for the film? Ah, really, really good question. Okay, well, I'd probably, in the first place, offer it to my friend John Wright, who's directed uh, Robert Overlords and The Little People, as a courtesy, but we are working on about six other projects. I think Emma Thompson did a fantastic job in a similar period with the Nanny McPhee films, especially the second one. Mackenzie Crook is great. He gets it with the Wurzel Gummidge TV specials, but I think both of those have done it already. I think it might work better as TV rather than the film. Bryce Dallas Howard, who directed some of my favourite episodes of The Mandalorian, I think sometimes you need an American's perspective to make a great British film. Have a look at Spielberg and what he did with War Horse, the, the way he made the British countryside look in that film. And I think she would get it. She'd get the magic. She'd get the scope of it. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard, I'd say. Excellent, excellent. Put it out there. Put it in the universe. Yeah. What is it about Spitfires you love so much? Well, have you ever seen one? Have you ever won one flyover? I think there's, they're just magical. They're they're wonderful. And you know, I've got there's one in Robot Overlords. There's one in this. There's there, I did write a screenplay all about Spitfire pilots, the uh, the air transport auxiliary girls uh, who fly. And one of them actually makes a cameo in this book right uh, in there. So I, I think there's something in the fact that. Spitfire pilots could be trained in as little as six months, and there's a fantasy there that you think, "Gosh, that could have been me." 
I think it's a dad thing, you know. And there's a great appeal in flying by manual controls, you know. Obviously, it was incredibly dangerous, and many pilots died a horrible death, and you know, it's a it's a terrible situation. But um, there was a romance to it as well, and it's a beautiful looking plane. Although that said, Spitfires were great. Hurricanes probably won the Battle of Britain because there were more of them, and they could be repaired more quickly and got back in the air. So anyway. So you can have three authors, living or not, on your Crowfolk Invasion Survival Team or Zombie Apocalypse Team, if you prefer. Who do you pick? Uh, Cueve McDonald, uh, Ian Sainsbury, and Julian Barr, as I'm pretty sure I could outrun them all. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, pumpkin or... Uh, I've started, so I'll finish. Uh, pumpkin pie or spotted dick? Spotted dick, no question. Every time. Brilliant. Excellent, Mr. Stay. <laughs> so just, just to credit, some of those questions came from our listeners. Uh, so we're, 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 that's, they came Absolutely, from- Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. Laura Shepard, thank you, Laura Sage. Uh, we didn't mention Queeves, actually. We'll have to save that for another one. Um, <laughs> Ian and Julian. So thank you so much for all of those brilliant questions. And uh, it's uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. There's so much more we can talk about, but- I think there's there's going to be a launch party happening very soon where I'm sure you'll be covering a lot more about backstory to what happened uh, in the book and we'll be answering questions coming in presumably live on a book yeah. launch. Is that yeah, right? there oh will be. Gosh. There will be. Exciting yeah. so, stuff. So if you've been listening to us and thinking, hang on, I've got a question or you didn't answer my question, the, the launch party is for you. So it's Thursday, 4th of February, uh, 7 to 8 GMT. Uh, Cueve McDonald's going to be MC. He's, um, he's, I know what costume he's wearing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, there's going to be, uh, we're, in the run-up to this, we're going to be running a giveaway for signed copies. I'm going to be making a couple of special announcements. Uh, dress code, 1940s Homefront, and a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Absolutely, and plenty of orange juice, right? Mm, yeah. Absolutely brilliant stuff. <laughs> right, so Mark, you can officially relax. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank um, you for all can... your special surprises. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this at all. I genuinely wasn't. It's, it's made my day, actually. It's brilliant. I really oh, enjoyed fantastic. It. Well, you. this was something else. We, we don't usually have commercial breaks. Um, but I'm going to today, I'm introducing what well, could become a historical moment or it could just disappear into the ether. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm introducing a new character because we do like a bit of a laugh and uh, Mark usually does all the voices. But um, I want to introduce you my, my friend who's called Well Read Reggie. And, uh, and he actually is going to come on the show every now and again to do, to do a, uh, an advert for a new book that's being published. You're probably doing it for some of the Academy books coming out in the future. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so let's, let's have a listen, a quick cut to, to Well Read Reggie. Oi, you, yeah, you. If you don't buy the crow folk by my mate, Mark, stay. I'm going to send the boys around. All right. Thank you, Reggie. That's absolutely brilliant. So, uh, it's <laughs> That's m- delightful. You want him in your book group, don't you? Uh, you totally want him in your book group. You want him in your. You want. You want Reggie to go into all the bookshops and sell your book in, right? Really. There you go. So, uh, well, read Reggie. He might be showing up again in the future. Um, so, Mark, let's let's relax, chill. Yeah, let's talk chill. about what's going on in social media this week before we finish up. Well, you know, I um, I said to you, we've got a lovely review for Back to Reality, and uh, it's not strictly social media, but it jumped out on it. Uh, it's from Mand. Uh, five stars. Headline is loved it, mysterious and daft. Left me wanting more. Uh, Man says, daft. Yeah, I like that. That should be on the front of the book. Mysterious exactly. and daft. Uh, Man says, everything I love in a book, music, fun, jeopardy, and a cow. Uh, what, what I would have loved 
would be to interact a little and be able to hear Ellie's song as a special Kindle feature. So, Mr. D, you're the songwriter. Hey, there we go. Challenge, um, challenge accepted potentially. Well, the Ellie's thing is, we, song, we, yeah, we never wrote it. Like we, we, well, lyric, lyrically, it was put together, but there was never actually a tune behind. it. The thing it. is, we we've described it as you know the greatest song ever written. So, no, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Is it going to be a bit like our drum roll? Like we build it up and then it's like, you know, exactly. little tin monkey. Brilliant. Exactly, yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe, but I, you know, I do like, I do like a challenge, you know, I do mm. like a challenge. So get, get your yeah. mate. What's him? The little ginger fellow with the ukulele. Oh, yeah, what's his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his, uh, <laughs> duet it maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely Ellie's song. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, man, for that. That's a wonderful. Yeah, we should actually mention that, you know, if, you, if you've if you already read Crow Folk by the time you, you listen to that, then you might want to uh, read, wasn't the sequel, it was the prequel really, wasn't it, Mark? The first pr- female protagonist you'd ever written or at least published. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, actually. I was going to ask you about that, but we'll save that for another day. Mm. But um, yeah, pop over and get Black to Reality whilst, you, whilst you're popping in and getting marks because well on Amazon. Yeah, go for Fantastic. It. Go for Brilliant. Um, we've got a lovely uh, bit on Twitter from Iona Wrights, who is at Iona underscore Wrights. Right. Brace yourself. She says, finally caught up with the bestseller experiment. 300 episodes, one a day since April. Great way to spend all the many lockdowns. <laughs> Totally worth following for anyone who wants to be a writer, either trad or indie. What's worse? What's worse, coronavirus or 300 episodes of us waffling on? Well, that's it. I I said to, I said, I replied to Iona and said, there is therapy available for folk recovering from the long term (laughs) effects of binging the podcast. She said, I might need it. I did reach the stage of dancing along with the subscribe, rate, and review review song. We got to bring that, that back. Go? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? We we could actually release an album if you look back over all of the crazy <laughs> things that we've done on this show. We could have a best of, a greatest hits. That would be quite yeah. funny. Yeah. Oh my Two. gosh, three hundred! You are absolutely insane. But we love you. Thank you so much for yeah. for and we. You know, who would have known four years ago that somebody would be using you know the, the Besser Experiment podcast as their as their little kind of. <laughs> Um, immunization shot during COVID. How fantastic is that? It's brilliant. And then finally, oh. uh, from Norfolk Days, who is at Simple Simon Say Nine on Twitter, uh, managed over three thousand three hundred words last week. Already surpassing that this week. Have to advise. I have to say the advice from uh, Mark Stay about stopping mid sentence has really helped. I've always said that if you if you stop writing mid sentence, then you pick it up the next day and it gets that momentum going. The two hundred words a day minimum aim has also been a godsend. Uh, so you know that's it 200 words a day work for me uh, work for Norfolk Days work for all sorts of people so uh, yeah. keep at it folks. Ian Sainsbury got out of a hole he said the other day when he was yeah. stuck in his in his writing there so yeah get over to 200 word challenge.com brilliant stuff Mr. Say well listen I just want to wish you with my empty glass look at that jeez Murphy <laughs> uh, I just want to wish you all the all the success in the world you, when you're listening Thank to you. this podcast uh, Mark's book will officially um, be on its way out, won't it? Yeah, this is coming on the first, book's out on the fourth, but you know, right. stuff gets sent early. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> so so make a note in your diary, 4th of February. Um, if everyone can go buy it on the on the fourth, that would be fantastic because we know that's really helped. So t- if you're going to do it, buy it on the fourth. Let's see if we can get that spike. And, and I promise to, to 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 tweet at Neil Gaiman again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> knock him off as you knock him off number one. Um but yeah, have a brilliant launch party. I will be uh, I will be there in the background with my pitchfork and uh, and my my noddy holder costume, and um, 
So I guess all that, all that leaves me to say is uh, good luck, Mr. Stay. Congratulations. You. Here's thank to you your much. continued success in book one, two, and three and whatever follows. And uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. Um, Mark, if I could ask you as an author, if you'd really, if you'd tweet this when, when your episode comes out, if you could tweet it on Twitter, we'd be very much appreciated. I will. I've got 27 followers, so I'm sure they'll all be very... <laughs> Excellent very stuff. interesting yes brilliant well listen all the best and i hope you have an absolute blast next week and congratulations can't wait to hear how it all goes my pleasure thank you so all much right. uh and and folks get in touch with us at bestsellerexperiment.com uh we're on facebook bestseller experiment twitter and instagram at bestseller xp uh and as always subscribe rate and review subscribe rate and review subscribe rate and review and it's a good Bye from Mark 1. <laughs> and a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash Back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.